welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in these special bonus episodes, we are talking about the His Dark Materials TV series on BBC and HBO. Beware, these episodes are not spoiler free and may contain spoilers for the original HDM trilogy. So if you haven't read them all, pop back when you're all caught up. This week, we're discussing season two, episode three, Theft. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. I was about to get straight into the nitty gritty then and be like, first things first, did you have any snacks? (laughs) Do you know what? I didn't. I had no snacks. (gasps) I know. No snacks at all. Uh, Why did I not have any snacks? I ate like a big dinner and then I I just wasn't hungry. And also you gave me cake earlier in the day because we met at a cemetery because we're goth and sat on a bench and ate some cake. Um, And then I was just really full. I had another slice of cake, so... <laughs> I mean, if the cake was there, I would have had another slice of cake, but I didn't have any cake. But yeah, I know you had your cake, too. You sent your little picture, and I was like, oh, look, there's that really nice cake, and I'm here drinking water. Great. Aww. <laughs> no, I had a slice of cake and a cup of tea, and it was, it was great. Yeah, second slice of the day. I haven't had a slice of cake today. There's like three and a half slices left, so we're going to have to like fight over them. Basically, I got really sad on Saturday, so I just baked a fuck-off massive cake that has like five bars of dark chocolate in it. There's so much chocolate in it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I need this. Was it dark chocolate? Cause I, I don't usually like dark chocolate, but it didn't taste super dark chocolatey. Oh, well, it also had like 500 milliliters of cream in it. So oh that God. kind of turns dark chocolate into milk chocolate. <laughs> also, you did not tell me I had loads of cream in it. I could have like... <laughs> oh, shit. You're so lactose intolerant, aren't you? <laughs> well, I hope you've not had the shits. I'm really sorry. I could have just shit myself in the cemetery, Rich, but it's fine. Thanks, Thanks for warning me. Oh, my God. <laughs> the cream was only in the frosting, to be fair. Like, the cake itself had... Just loads of butter in it. In fairness, it's fine. I, it didn't affect me at all. Maybe my lactose intolerance isn't as bad as it once was. Let's test that theory. I'll, I'll eat loads of cheese and get back to you. <laughs> Obviously, it had loads of cream in it, but that's across like an entire cake, and you maybe had like a twelfth of a cake. So it's probably not that much. It's fine. I didn't poison you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I'm alive. Please don't make the listeners think of that. <laughs> I'm evil, and I tried to poison Faye with dairy goods. <laughs> She did it on purpose. I knew it. <laughs> anyway, before we started recording this podcast, Rich said to me, I didn't make any notes. <laughs> I'm just grassing you up. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've watched it twice and I have thoughts and feelings, but I am in the middle of trying to sort out a shop update that goes out probably, if you're listening to this on Friday when it comes out, my shop update will be either tonight or tomorrow morning. I haven't quite decided yet, but check out my shop. I'm in the middle, I'm covered in paint, I'm covered in dust, I'm covered in stress. Um, <laughs> I didn't make any notes because I'm like, I was painting while I was watching. At least for once, we're releasing an episode that is close to one of your shop updates. And we did that thing again, where we've just recorded the book episode and been like, Rachel's got a shop a- a update, but it's already gone. And now we're recording this episode saying it's this weekend. Our timeline messes with my brain. <laughs> it really does. It really does. Especially this episode being Lee goes to the Somersky Hotel 
And we've literally just covered that in the book episode. So it feels really recent for us, but our listeners won't have heard that yet because it doesn't come out till next week for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the woes of podcasting schedule. Weekly and bi-weekly. It is confusing. It is. It is. Well, let's get into it. I'll, I'll lead us and, you, and you, can, you can chip in with, with your thoughts mm-hmm, as we mm-hmm. go along. The first thing I, I wrote down was... The poor witches and their charred home. They're just like walking along and it's super sad. Yeah, I mean, if anything was going to spur them into absolutely destroying the magisterium, I guess that'll do it. I saw a tweet and I'm so sorry, I can't remember who tweeted it. It said something about them looking like uh, the witches when they're walking through the like charred remains of their home, that they look like they're in an Evanescence music video. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. I'm like, hell fucking yes, that is amazing. Well, we know how much Phil loves Evanescence, so he uses the word every time he gets the chance. (laughs) And I laugh every time. I was just about to say what's been woken up inside of the witches is rage, eternal rage, and too fucking right. Too fucking right. My notes are like getting less detailed as I'm watching and just like reacting, rather than being like, oh, here are my nuanced thoughts about this particular scene. I'm just like shouting in all caps. But my ne- my next note is, which I think deserves to be in all caps, Lyra flicking water at Pan oh. when she's washing her face. Oh, God. I feel, Russell, if you're listening and you're coming back on the podcast, we hope you are. Correct us if we're wrong. But I feel like the VFX guys, they had a meeting, right? They had a meeting with the producers and they were like, do you know what we need? Season two. We need it to be cuter. Even though season one was pretty fucking cute, they were like, no. We need to turn that fucking cute dial up to 11. I think even though we are spending still like a fair amount of time with people who have demons, the amount of demons and bears per episode has plummeted. So they have more time to spend on making things even cuter. And like so much more time to spend on Pan, which is great. (laughs) Also just... The, the amazing practical effects trick, which is just putting something a little bit heavy in a rucksack and uh, <laughs> voicing Pan from in there. <laughs> Saves a lot of money just sticking him in a rucksack. <laughs> it so does. I love that. Amazing. I would love to know exactly how much money they saved by putting him in a rucksack. <laughs> I love the bit where, yeah, he got in the rucksack again and she like pulled it shut to shut him up. Oh, bless him. I know. Poor Pan. Cute. The next thing I've said is uh, Andrew Scott looking like Gollum yeah. with that ring. I think Charlie said it in the Discord when he's got the ring. Calling for Lee. It's very, very witchy. Like, I'm here for his witchy vibes. Yeah, me too. I, I actually am very here for his witchy vibes. I think it's really cool. I'd love to see it. Did he have some, like, sexy hand tattoos as well? Yeah, he did. He had, like, um, like tops of his fingers, I think. Love it. Also, I love that he's in the credits this episode and he's in the episode for less than 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> they're just tempt- They're just like teasing us at this point. Absolute like, tease, yeah. You're going to get Hot Priest? No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. You got like the forehead of Hot Priest maybe or like a tiny bit of his face and then just lots of his fingers. Lots of hands. A bit of ASMR Hot Priest. <laughs> dirty fingers as well. He had dirty fingers. Oh, no. Yeah. No, interesting. And I love that we spent so much time with Lee. You know how he spent all of last episode talking about Lee Scoresby and he wasn't even in it? Mm -hmm. Now we get to talk about him and he actually is in it. (laughs) Oh my god. Are we just going to talk about Lee now because I will die? Like, I am obsessed. I already was, but this episode 
has tipped me over the edge. I am so impressed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. More impressed than I've ever been before. Because I feel like I've obviously been a massive Lin fan for a long time. He did. He was really, really great in season one. I'm not shitting on his season one performance at all. But I feel like part of it, for me especially, was like I just loved him anyway. So if Lee was played by somebody else in season one, would I have liked him as much because I already like Lin a lot? But in this episode, he just fucking knocked it out of the park. And I don't think I've ever seen him act as well. Because like, obviously we've seen Hamilton. You see him in Hamilton and he's amazing. But it's a different type of acting, right? And I feel like it's the first time... I've seen him in a TV series role where I'm like, God, he can really act and he's really good. Mm, the writing is just really lovely as well. Like, I think he's written so well. And I, being as we've literally just read this book chapter, I was thinking like, there's a lot of faff. It's amazing when you're reading it because it really seats you in the world. And there's loads of details, of like all these people in the bar and all the locations and all the descriptions. And then everywhere Lee's going, he's having conversations with like upwards of five people. But the way that they've just condensed that to the essentials and still kept the essentials has worked really well. Like, he literally speaks to, like, two people in the bar, and that's, like, the guy that he's chatting with and then the barmaid. Loving that barmaid with the, like, I know I hate spiders, but, like, the red spider. I liked it. Mm. And, like, the hair plaits that's got, like, the, like, ooh, she's all into weaving because her demon's a spider. I wonder if it plaits her hair. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, don't that made me feel a bit ill. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I like spiders, but I'm not pushing it to the point where I'm enjoying a spider plaiting someone's hair. No, thank you. <laughs> but it would be really good. It could do like eight eight weave plaits, oh. eight string plaits. Sorry great. that I just, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, like going to the observatory and condensing that room of scholars down to just like one guy who just still provides a bit of information and still turns on him and still does all that stuff. It just like, whilst I would have loved some of the, like, complexities of those scenes to be played out, they weren't essential for me, for the understanding of, like, Lee's journey. And, like, also, they, they ain't got time for that. <laughs> very true, very true. When he's at the observatory, one of my notes was that he took his coat off, right? And he's got, like, a little red leather jacket underneath. It's very Faith Lahane. You'd love Ooh, to see it. I was about to say, it's very, like, steampunk vibes. He, like like a steampunk cosplayer kind mm -hmm. of yes, <laughs> situation. Yeah. He's wearing, he has so many jackets. <laughs> he must be really warm. If you think about the conversation we have with Caroline, she was talking about how Lee's costume, you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of how challenging that costume would be to do, to physically make, but it's like so much leather work. That must be really intense and having to have however many versions of it so they can like dirty it down over time and stuff that's a lot that's a lot of leather work <laughs> totally yeah and they had to obviously make more than one because they've got stunt person and all that kind of stuff in our discord chat i got told to go to horny jail again yeah <laughs> i've been told it before and i got told again <laughs> because my reaction to lee all chained up in in that room was just like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> just that entire scene i think somebody said it very well in our patreon discord chat of just being like this scene was made for the buys <laughs> i'm here for the coulter i'm here for the scoresby i'm here for the two of them connecting and i'll just sit and watch it all day and i'm so here for this goddamn bonus content if you'd have told us that we were going to get this scene and that they'd just thrown these two characters together that never really meet in the books I'd have been a little bit like, why? why? Why are you doing this? Are you just trying to get Ruth Wilson and Lynn while we're under in a room? Like, what are you doing? It doesn't really make sense to me. But then it just all fit 
perfectly. I just felt like it worked really well and it felt like a really lovely bit of like bonus content that feels like it works in line with the the spirit of the books and works in line with where I feel the characters would go and where their allegiances lie. And like in terms of fleshing out two of my favorite characters, it was like, yes, thank you. I will I will take this all day long. Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. I have so many feelings about this scene and I, having watched it last night and then watched it again today before recording, I can honestly say that it's my favorite scene in the entire series so far, including series one. It is actually one of the best examples of a TV show scene that I have seen in a long time. Like, perfect writing, perfect direction, perfect acting. There wasn't too much. Like, you didn't feel like they were being gratuitous with it, but you also didn't feel like they were holding back with it. Like, you got just the right amount of information. Uh, And like you said, you added something to a book's narrative that wasn't there in the book, but actually adds a lot to it. It didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go. I really didn't think that they were going to end up with kind of an alliance, in a way. There were some amazing lines in there that just made me want to fucking collapse on the floor and cry. Amazing, like, backstory revelations for the both of them. Bonding with somebody else that's experienced the same trauma that you've experienced is really profound. And the fact that they captured that on screen and just that little moment between Hester and Lee after Colt has left the room when Hester just says, like... It's been a really long time since we've talked about that. It broke me. I wasn't expecting it. Lynn's face in that moment where they put their faces together after she says that to him. I was like, this is a lot. And this is so good. So well done. And I watched it again today. And I was like, I'm going to fucking cry. I hate them for it. I (laughs) fucking know where we're going. Can you please stop making me love people so much? (laughs) Absolute bastards. (laughs) It's kind of fresh in my brain because I just had a com- uh, a chat with Kristen from Buffering the Vampire Slayer about this, but the what you mentioned about their shared trauma, it reminds me a lot of Buffy and Spike. Buffy and Spike have a like shared trauma of uh, like depression and death and, and things like that, and they embark on a not-so-healthy relationship. Not that I think that Lee and Mrs. Coulter are going to necessarily go down that route, but you can see how the like cogs have turned in similar ways for them. You would never put those two characters together in that sense and they've like bonded. I feel like I could just talk about it all day. Like I wrote down some of the lines. Lee says this more than once, but he says, my life is worth one one tenth of hers. Love doesn't mean you won't hurt her. It doesn't work that way. You can threaten me, torture me, but I will never tell you where Lyra is because again, my life is worth one tenth of hers. Ruth Wilson's face. I know we talk about how good she is, where she like almost breaks and cries. I just can't do it. Like last week, they broke me with the bench. This week, they broke me with this scene. What the fuck are they going to do next week? (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) know. Can we even cope? No, no, we can't. I'd love to know where Philip was involved with the writing process on this. I'd love to know what the writing, where the writing room was at and how they've kind of come together and been like, just having Coulter and Scoresby sharing this like traumatic past that is very similar and that they've had like a very similar like home family experience as a young child and then have delved onto such completely different paths but have a similar level of determination and like you can see it all in the characters and like reading some of that through the books it fits so perfectly with where we're at with both the characters and like Lee's like fierce independence and determination and like I pay my own way, I earn my own money, I earn my own keep, I nobody can hold me down, I fly where I want, I do what I want, and then if he finds someone to love, he's fiercely loyal. And like Coulter's 
the similar thing. She's like, nobody can hold me down, but I'm gonna work the system to my advantage. And what's gonna stop people from holding me down is getting as much power as possible. I just really appreciate it as like an addition to those characters and just fleshing them out and adding so much depth in ways that I didn't expect the TV series to be able to do because you're whistling through these books so fast. Yeah, I think that the writing has stepped up massively this season. It was good last season, uh, but it's especially stepped up this season. I think the reason I've seen Jack Thorne speak about this, obviously he was the main writer on season one, and in this season they brought in more voices and more female voices, and I think that is very apparent in the way that the dialogue is written, that it's got some much-needed female voices in there, especially when writing for Ruth Wilson as Mrs. Coulter, and even Lyra to a certain extent. It's just, it's turning into, like, one of those shows that I'm, like, almost not even hesitant to say it's starting to become nearly perfect. That's how good I think it is. I think season two stands a really good chance of hitting that point, in part because in season one, almost every time we were having a scene with somebody, it was still part of their introduction in a lot of ways. Because there's we know there's this entire arc to get to know people, that spans three books but in season one they're going right well there's people that might not have read the books and we've got to be like wham bam thank you ma'am this is who this person is lay out their personality on a plate for you we want you to love them and get invested and then we're going to run with all the plot and plot 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 and so there wasn't much space for that like those moments where you get to really bond with the characters and like learn something new about them because you're still learning what their face value is and you can't scratch beneath the surface whereas season two we're getting all of those scratches beneath the surface and it's like yay (laughs) this is the nuance that philip wrote into the books that we pick apart through all those pages that we're getting on the screen and it's so exciting so good while we're on uh, leah mrs coulter we get more of the monkey prick this time around and i died again when he holds her hand but she doesn't slap him away and if you remember when we spoke to russell he said that it's a real challenge for them to start with Mrs. Coulter and the monkey being completely like at odds and like not really going anywhere near each other unless they have to, to the journey right to the end where they like come together in a way that she is more happy and at ease with herself. And I think that we're seeing that. It's a direct parallel to season one where we died when he tried to grab her hand and she slapped it away and this time he grabbed it and she didn't. Mm. And again... That paralleling that exact same moment with Lee where he shares that moment of tenderness with Hester and then Coulter sharing, actually for once we're seeing her sharing a moment of tenderness with her her demon, even though he's a little monkey prick. <laughs> yeah, th- that's interesting. The contrast between, uh, they do actually really well, the contrast between Lee and Hester and Mrs. Coulter and the monkey prick. You see the love between Hester and Lee and you see the ripplings of love starting between Mrs. Coulter and the monkey, but you still see it being a little monkey prick, like when it just fucking slams that snake demon's head on the floor and then just carries it around for a bit and then just drops it and walks away. So intense. But also like really clever and important to keep that level of threat present at all times when Mrs. Coulter's in the room. Like you might be seeing cracks in the facade, but she is still hard as nails underneath there and she is still ambitious and aggressive and all of these things that you mustn't forget just because you've seen her crack a little bit and that's the thing isn't it it's one of those things where it's like just because she's starting to experience these feelings of love 
for herself and for Lyra and for other people feeling a bit of empathy. Like, we saw her with Thorold. Like, she could have easily got rid of Thorold, but she didn't. She was kind to him. It doesn't mean that those other aspects of her personality aren't still there. Like, she's still a fucking evil badass. They all add to her character, and it's just so exciting to watch her character deal with that and be like, oh shit, these are feelings that I am now having and I have to deal with that. Also, I audibly gasped when the little monkey prick jumped at Hester and, like, started, like, strangling her. I was like, no! No, please! But also, it was like, ah, yes, this scene is electric! (laughs) Oh god, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Like, that's what I mean, like, I rarely... I will make noise at TV shows in in the sense of, like, if something is funny, I will laugh out loud. But I I never, like, it's rare that something gets me so much to actually make me go, (gasps) and, like, that actually happened. And I was like, wow, that's been a long time since I've... uh, audibly gasped at something on a tv show should we get back to will and lyra yeah question. <laughs> let's do it I, yeah I, I i could i could talk we could do a whole episode on that scene <laughs> easily so lyra leaves a note for will in not a place that anybody would normally leave a note for another person like you know maybe where they might see it <laughs> Next to his bed, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, like, at least maybe, like, in the bathroom, because you know he's going to use the bathroom, or by the sink. It frustrated me how (laughs) well she hid that note. (laughs) Did you love that they put more affection into the letters from Will's dad? Uh, Yes, yes, I did, because (laughs) actually having an explorer dad showing some emotion is nice to see for once. (laughs) Somebody, one of our patrons in the Discord was like, maybe they had listened to your podcast episode and did like a last minute edit. I I think they did. (laughs) They must have. (laughs) The letters in the book sound very cold and they're there for a purpose of getting information across. And in the TV series, it's so much more important to like get the emotion across and good. I want to know that John Parry loved Elaine. I want to know how much he loved her. Like, I I feel like it's really important. Definitely. Lyra and Will's entire part together in this episode is so fucking stressful. Even when they're in the cinema watching Paddington. Oh my god, done! Maybe, okay, maybe that's it. They only, like, respite, but... That is so fucking cute. I was so excited to see Paddington and I was so excited. Shall we do a Paddington watch along with our patrons? We should absolutely do that. I think that would be so much fun. That it would is be so much fun. Paddington and Paddington 2. Paddington 2 is like, oh, Paddington oh. 2. Oh, so good. We'll just have a Paddington first. Yeah. Oh, I love him. I love that little bear so goddamn much. <laughs> oh my God. It's so good. It's so good. And made infinitely better by just like Pan crawling out of the bag to watch it a little bit. I said it. I'll say it again. If they do not find an opportunity to have Pan turn into a tiny bear at Ugh. some point in this season, they have missed a fucking trick. If Pan does not do a Paddington, a Pannington. No, oh, a Pannington. <laughs> I will launch a formal protest. <laughs> we demand Pannington. <laughs> we do. Uh, Lyra eating popcorn is all of us, I feel. Where she's like, what, it, it tastes, tastes like sawdust. <laughs> well, stop, stop eating it. I can't. <laughs> So when the lights go up in the cinema at the end of a film and you look down and you're just covered in little... <laughs> nobody else. Or you get home and you find a bit of popcorn in your bra and you're like, yes. oh, that's been there for like an hour now. Still eat it. <laughs> you know about disgusting food habits. We've established this. <laughs> Zero cinema etiquette from either of them. Mm-hmm. Not cool. Will looking at his phone, Lyra talking really loudly. Well, I suppose they're both talking really loudly. I'm not here for it. I am definitely... A shusher. I'm not a shusher. Uh, do you know what? Am I? No. I don't... Um, if they really annoyed me, I think I would do a shush. But I, mean, I actually, I wouldn't shush because I've been shushed and it's fucking rude. I'd probably be like, 
can you please be quiet? That's that's what I do, yeah, I wouldn't shush. I'm here for cinema etiquette and I'm annoyed that they don't have any. <laughs> I know they've got other things to worry about, but people are trying to watch Paddington. Shut up. But also like Will's trying not to get noticed and a really great way to not get noticed is to shut up and watch the film. <laughs> and a really great way to get noticed is to talk really loud and have your phone on. Like, don't, don't do that. That's how you get kicked out of the cinema. Before then, before they go to the cinema. I say before they go to the cinema, she's Mary. Lyra goes to see Mary and she loses the alethiometer before they go to the cinema. So we've got a, a whole Lyra arc to get into. So she sees Mary. She has the alethiometer then. Yes, because the DI Wallace comes in and then that's when she gets in the car. Yeah, so creepy moustache policeman. The guy that looks like Pornstache from Orange is the New Black. Yeah, so Pornstache is like asking Mary about Lyra. That's a really good fucking bit actually with Mary. I love her like physically protecting... Lyra from D.I. Walters. Same as what we said last week about Simone Kirby. She smashed it again. She's got massive, like, I don't want to say mum vibes, but just massive, like, protection vibes for Lyra. She's got big, cool auntie vibes. Yes. Because we've seen it. She is a big, cool auntie. Like, she has the best, curliest, gingerest niece and nephew. And she's got, like, the best, like, cool auntie that has a cool job and lives in a cool house and, like, gives you not the cool snacks because it sounded like they were muesli bars. But you know that she's the cool auntie that takes you to the cinema. Doesn't that feel like they're curding her even more as being queer? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and I love it, obviously. Or at the very least, like, a bagging feminist that's decided she doesn't want to have kids and she's decided she's happy to like dote on the humans who do have kids in her life and all of that kind of stuff like I think she's somebody that knows her own mind and what she wants I mean you have to be right if you're gonna quit being a nun definitely yeah and yeah I love her in this episode I love when she her little smile after she runs into that guy that tells her that Lyra got away I love her outfit with like a blazer and her jeans and a converse and a little backpack she just looks so cool I want to be like Mary when I grow up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> me too <laughs> and she's um also probably worth mentioning the scene where she is or the scenes where she's trying to work the cave on her own and she's like progressing a little bit like we see some images come up on the screen and then there's that bit at the end where like the dust actually like comes out of, of the screen i felt like that was just a bit like oh we need to do something that's like ooh at the end it didn't really make sense. Like, why would why would the screen go through? It didn't make sense. It was like, oh, it's just just a little ooh magic of TV moment. <laughs> like, okay. But I liked the classic, like, oh, a little bit of information, but just that little bit too late. Like when the screen flashed up with the picture of the snake, we were wondering whether that pertained to Lyra's about to meet the man with a snake, or does it to is it to do with that Mary is going to be told to play the snake? The snake can symbolise so much, which also is great that like one of our amazing patrons who does programming or has experience of programming was like, I think she's, I think she's coding in Python, <laughs> which is great because that's a programming language. And if they've deliberately decided to have her code in Python because it's a snake reference, I am so here for it. <laughs> yes, that is great. Uh, I will say that D.I. Walters, when he's questioning Lyra before she escapes from the room or before Mary helps her escape, I just feel... and. Again, sorry everyone, I cannot remember if this is in the book or not, but I just feel like he tricks her too easily. Like, she's answering his questions, and he trips her up, like, with his third or fourth question, when he asks about Will. I don't know if that happens in the book, I might have the same feelings about it in the book, but I was like, I feel like Lyra would 
be able to keep up the facade for longer because she's so used to doing that kind of thing. I genuinely feel like he does do that. I've literally, oh my God, I'm so amazing. Like I literally just opened it on that exact fucking page. Amazing. Amazing, well done. The dust, the dust is working with me in my book. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a longer conversation. It's a much longer conversation. Um, It takes like a page and a half of him being like, do you go to school? Yes, sometimes. And then basically the bit they cut out of that conversation is he asks Lyra why she's interested in Mary's work and she's lying and saying that her father works in the building or her father does research into that stuff. And he's asking about her father. And then... He says, is Will staying with your friends as well? And Lyra says, yes, he, and then stops and she knew it when she made a horrible mistake. So he does trick her into it, but there's a much longer making her feel comfortable about her lying skills conversation to make her trip. And obviously I see why they've done it in the show. It would be pretty boring to have like that back and forth for like five minutes or whatever. But it just felt to me like Lyra, it would take more to get Lyra to trip up. Yeah, definitely. I felt really, really, really stressed after he chased Lyra all that way. And then Lyra had Pan turn into a bird so he could like scout out where to run, which I love. I love that vibe. She's done it before. It's a great like Lyra and Pan team up combo. It really, really stressed me out when she got in the car and Pan was having to like fly behind because imagine if he got tired. Luckily, they're driving through like what I imagine to be like kind of, I've never been to Oxford, but kind of like central Oxford. So they can't be going super fast because it's residential. But like, there's got to be a point where like car would get too fast for Pan to keep up. I was expecting him to like land on the back of the car like la- and like grip onto it. And he didn't, he was just like flying and keeping up. I was like, eh. I mean, maybe he's just glad not to be in a rucksack for once. It's like happy to stretch his wings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Also, what's with Boreal's like weird ass back to the future car with like the doors that like come up? I feel like that's some kind of weird HBO sponsorship advert for that car. <laughs> or they're just trying to point out how, that like, because when you go into his house, they're like, oh, he is fucking fancy. That car is like the car equivalent of the fanciness of the house. He lives in a fucking museum. That house is creepy as fuck. I love it. Oh, oh, I love it. I love it. I love how amazing Arian Bakari looks in like cold lighting. It just suits him so well. And so having the entire like room, this like dark blue and all the lighting in it being so cool, really. And it just is also such a contrast to like the warmth of Chichigatsi and like the, the like warm Spanish summer vibes that that place has. And then you're in Boreal slash Latrum's house. It's cold and cool and just, oh, I loved it. I, lo- I love the way it's lit. Congratulations, DOP. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very homely though, is it? It's not very homely. No, but neither's he. Very true. He was so, sorry to jump back to when they were in the car, but he was so creepy in the car when you can just see his eyes in the rear view mirror and she's like, let me out. Oh, fucking love that bit. Also... <laughs> The bit classic where... seatbelt vibes yeah 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 <laughs> the bit where she gets out and he's like oh you left your bag and then she goes back to the window to get it and he says until next time i don't know about you but i was just like oh <laughs> oh that's cute little no. bit from the vampire slow <laughs> reference for you guys there <laughs> i did not get that i was too busy finding him brilliantly creepy and yeah, just like a classic when she's like, my mum will be worried. And he's like, I'm sure she will be. And it's like, he knows who your mama is. Me, every time I ever get in an Uber or a taxi or whatever, and you put the, you know, when you put your seatbelt on and it's, the car's just got a bad seatbelt and you lean back and you find yourself slowly <laughs> being strangled. But that is what Lyra's like, sh- I mean, she's shocked by seatbelts because she's not had to wear one before. But like, 
honestly, that's just me every time I'm in a car. You keep getting like seatbelts that do the thing where they just don't go forwards and you find yourself like getting strangled back to the seat. (laughs) (laughs) The worst thing in the world. Yeah. My note here is, oh my God, I fucking hate Boreal the Thief. He really made me hate him this episode. I get really stressed out when... One, when people lose things that are important. Two, when things get stolen. And then the frustration of having the thing that's been stolen from you shown to you by the person that's stolen it and know you can't get it back from them. It fucking stresses me. That really stresses me out. Um, So that scene, I was just like, this is so annoying that it's right there and they can't get it back. Which is why I understood and appreciated Lyra throwing that glass at the wall because I feel like I would have done the same thing. My friend Ellie, who listens to the podcast, Hi, Ellie. she was sending me messages. Like I literally, out of the blue yesterday, just got a message, all caps, all capital letters. They went to see Paddington. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she was like, my big question from the episode is, when he lives in what is basically a museum, why is Boreal keeping the alethiometer in the bar section? It's in his like drinks cabinet. Yeah, weird. <laughs> Weird. Maybe he's not decided where to put it yet in his, like, weird house museum thing. He's got, like, weird shit in there. Do you see I have, like, a full, like, astronaut suit and stuff? Yes. Like, what? Oh, I really like it. I like it as an idea of him, like, collecting the interesting things that are different about this world compared to his. And it's like, well, they've done space travel, so I must have something to do with that. Arian Bakari. He smashed it this episode. That dynamic that you were talking about of like when someone's got something and they won't give it back. For me, it all plays into that same frustrating dynamic of like, they are children, he is an adult. If it comes down to whose word goes, his is going to be taken more seriously. That same thing that frustrates me and frustrates everyone when you're reading a book and it's like the adult won't listen to the child when the child's trying to explain. And it's just really... The thing I loved about Mary last episode, making that space for Lyra and listening to her and not talking over her and not trying to explain, like re-explain things Lyra was saying, is like the polar opposite of what Boreal's doing here, where he's not dismissing them so much as just threatening them, but it's just that completely skewed power dynamic that is like frustrating and enraging to be a part of it makes you want to do a little smashy so i'm not surprised lyra did a little smashy mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely yeah one thing that we haven't talked about yet is will and angelica and their little scene that yes. they have together again bringing people together you don't expect them to bring together <laughs> she looks like lyra in that scene and i know it's it's it will thinks she is lyra when he's chasing her they have like a really nice shared little moment actually don't they with she's talking about how her parents got spected i don't know if he, i can't remember if he actually mentions about his parents but obviously there's that shared like grief for their loss there as well and it was kind of just a nice little way for us to learn a little bit more about the tower really because angelica mentions the philosophers doesn't she and that they ran away when the spectres came and it's all their fault and all that kind of stuff and you see like the nice shot of the person like walking back and forth in the tower and angelica's like it's a ghost it has to be a ghost it's definitely not anyone that we much know it's a ghost (laughs) honestly yeah it's again it's interesting though because they found a great way of having some exposition that was necessary for this point in the timeline of the episode but without having to do, like we just got all that information in a chapter with the witches, which isn't out yet. That information is all like the witches are finding that out about the scholars and the tower and the knife and they're like, Will and Lyra don't know it. And so it's really nice to have that information actually just given to the people that need it right now. <laughs> and it must be interesting for the writers and the producers and every everyone to like figure that out because there's certain things that they that come across in the books that you couldn't do on screen because it'd be like too long, too boring, too whatever. So it must be fun for them to be like, oh, actually, 
this big scene that happens in the book with the witches, we can actually transfer that to Will and Angelica or like whatever else they might be doing. It must be fun. Although like, I hope we don't lose a lot of that because I'm very excited for seeing, I feel like that has to be the point at which we see somebody get spectred and that just like that little fight scene with the witches and the i love that there was a bit i think there was a bit of a a little bit of a chat in our discord about this but do you think we'll see angels this season surely they might have decided to cut that bit with ruta and the angels but do we not see them later in the book i have no idea i can't remember <laughs> probably does ruta need the angels to guide her to Azriel, or could she just find it by could they have written a way in for her to find it by herself yeah oh, i don't know you know I'm trying to, I'm currently like, hmm, do we have angels? Maybe we'll meet them like the very beginning of the next book then. Yeah, because whatever the names of the two angels I always forget, aren't they just in the Amber Spyglass? The gay angels. The gay angels. Yeah. My fave gay angels. Oh my God, I forget how much shit happens in the Amber Spyglass. In my head, the two books are like one. Oh my God. <sighs> so much to do. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I think it would be wise because like, in that, in that sense, they're introducing, like, major, like, world-defining species. Like, a couple of different ones in each book, or in each series. Because, like, in this season, it's like, okay, so now we get to be in more in our world, and more in a whole other world, and we get spectres. But, like, you know, less bears. Speaking of bears, we, we got, got to see Yorick. Yorick talking about global warming. Yeah, we did. Uh, happy to see Yorick. He is obviously not in The Subtle Knife, the book. So really, really... Good to see him. I wonder if we'll see him again. I wonder if they just literally put him in for that one bit. They just missed Joe. They were like, we need to get Joe yeah, back. Yeah, get Joe back. Get Joe Tambo back in. Yeah, because we didn't, like, it was obviously, I'm not complaining. Love to see Yorick. I love Yorick so much. But that scene didn't really add anything, did it? I think it was there just in order to set the witches on the right track so that the witches know where Lyra is to go and find her because... Serafina was supposed to have a scene with Thorold where she found that out, but Thorold's in the Magisterium prison talking to Coulter, so she had to find out from somewhere. So they got Kaiser to find out from Yorick, which I like that as them being like, oh crap, we wrote ourselves into a corner here because we put Thorold in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Let's write ourselves out of it by bringing Yorick back. Mighty convenient that witches' demons can stray further <laughs> so that they can literally be in two places at once. <laughs> I don't know about you though, but like seeing Yorick, it, even though the last season it only came out last year it gave me like nostalgia vibes i was like yorick i love you i i love joe as as yorick and i love how how they've created him and how they've like animated him and how he looks and how he walks he he does that like really like grumpy waddle where he like drags his like feet along the floor and it's very like stompy and i love to see it well, it is nostalgia. It's nostalgia for that old world because we're not spending that much time in that world or as much time in that world. And also for us, we finished that book this summer. And so like time's gone by. All things Yorick just warm my heart. I saw another tweet. Obviously, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. I saw another tweet and it was like, oh, I know that like Yorick's supposed to be this like really grisly, like badass bear. But every time I see him, I just look at his ears and how cute they look and I just want to touch them because he's got little tiny little ears and they look really cute. Oh, Yorick. <laughs> Yorick. Completely off off tangent here. Um, I really enjoyed that we got to see Mary using the eating and the sticks and the arrow sticks and the different ways and like building the chart and reading from the book because 
I felt like really in the know because I'd done a little bit of research on it for our chapter that had that and like building the little hexagram with the with the lines from like dividing the sticks it, it all felt very very right for it and like I really I enjoyed the parallel that they drew between her doing that and like it kind of like referencing it on the computer and stuff and it's all dust love it one thing to to mention is that we now know that the knife is needed we need to get a knife to give to Boreal so that he's going to give the Alethiometer back. Because Will's been having his Slayer visions. Yeah, yeah, he has. Like, very Buffy-esque. Like, you are the chosen one. You're going to have, like, creepy visions and dreams before your calling finds you. Yes! <laughs> Love to see it. That makes me think next episode, that that is obviously going to be the mission. Did you see the preview after for the next episode? It was, like, ten seconds long, if that. It barely showed you anything that happened next episode. I appreciate that, though. Last season, the, pre- the, the like, coming up next on felt like it showed you the whole episode and I don't I don't like it when things do that so I'm really here for like just a little sneak peek like last episode we just saw like half a Yorick face and a little bit of Lee and Coulter and it was like what what <laughs> last week we, we prayed to the HDM gods for Molly and we got Molly and I was very I'm very happy about that this week I'm praying to the HDM gods to bring us more Andrew Scott and I think we'll get that next week even from that tiny little glance that we had of him I was like he's gonna do a good job I don't know his vibe just seemed very on point and I enjoyed it oh my god do you know what I forgot that fucking Phoebe Waller-Bridge is voicing his demon I completely forgot about that that's gonna be exciting to see also excited for thinking about the fact that Andrew Scott and Lin-Manuel were just sharing Percy Pigs behind the scenes yes (laughs) In it must have been in like a season two prequely interviewee Comic Con panel thing. I think they were talking about it. Yeah, it was a Comic Con panel. Andrew Scott brought in Percy Pigs, which is like a gummy, gummy little pig faces, little sweets that are like vegetarian from Marks and Spencer. And they're very British. Like everyone that I know um, that visits from other countries, I will like buy will buy them Percy Pigs because they're such like a classic, perfect food to eat on a train. But I just love the idea of them just like snaffling Percy Pigs on set. And now he like sends them to Lynn apparently. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so cute. What adorable thing. I know, I love just that. Just between so takes, much. shove a Percy Pig in your gob. Yes. Why not? <laughs> Maybe next week I'll try and get some to eat while we're watching. Ooh, ooh, yeah, that's a good shout. Ooh, there's a Marks and Spencer's fairly near me. Yes, nice, 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 nice. So this episode overall, it rivals, remember last season when I was obsessed with the episode Armour, I think it was, when we first met Lee and Yorick and we were in Trollocent and I was obsessed with that episode because I thought it was like almost perfect. I think this episode in this season is that it's on that like a similar level to that for me i thought it was so good it's up there it's had some of like the best like scenes and it's had the most it's kind of hit like a really nice stride of the series where you're like really excited for what's coming next and it's kind of put it's pushing the pace it's done all the instructions we're pushing the pace forward but it's i don't know I'll, I'll see from the rest of the episodes whether I think it's my fave. But... Very true, yes. We've still got a fair few to go and I might change my mind, but so far that is that is the vibe. Very excited. Do we know what the title of the next episode is? I don't know, actually. I don't even know where you'd find that out. I suppose on IMDb, maybe. Oh, wait, no, I feel I did see that. I think it's a Tower of the Angels. Ooh, season two. The Cave Theft, Tower of the Angels. Yes, exciting. I'm really excited for seeing... What's going to go down with the knife? I'm really excited for seeing like the entire scene that is what, like one of my favourite, most memorable 
things that happens is not just Will learning how to use the knife, but the like heist that they pull off is really memorable for me. Like the tension of that and reading that, like I'm excited for them to play that out. And then I think that seems like the kind of shit that might happen next episode. So excited to see Will get his fingers chopped off. (laughs) Intrigued to see how far they take that on eight o'clock Sunday night TV after Strictly, you know, what levels of gore are we going to see? Yeah, I'm excited to see, um, I know you just mentioned about like using the knife, but I'm excited to see the visualization of how the knife is used because I think when we spoke to Kristen Russo, she said a similar thing to what I think is that she can visualize that really well, like how it's used. And I, I can as well. I've got a very firm like vision in my brain. So I'm interested to see how they do it. Yeah, the description in the book is so perfect and so visual and so you can feel it when you're reading it in the book. So I feel like it's going to be a real challenge to show on screen and I'm very excited to see that. So much to look forward to. And only four episodes left. Yeah, four episodes left. Uh... I know. <laughs> feels like it's going by really quick doesn't it can't believe we're like episode three already it's the fact that it's almost fucking december that i can't get over <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> ah what's happening 2020 uh, god i know jesus christ woohoo <laughs> yay at least we've got something very exciting to look forward to next week and we've all got to try and get some percy pigs to eat yes. in honor of andrew scott and Mama. let's all try and get some percy pigs guys let's tr- let's do it let's do it if you can if you're in the uk Send us pictures of you watching the next episode with some Percy Pigs at HTM Pod. We would love to see it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just a little reminder before the outro to let you know that we are still running our giveaway. To enter the giveaway, you need to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review. You can leave them on Facebook as well. Take a screenshot of that review, send it to us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com and that email is your entry into a prize draw. Once we get 50 entries, we'll pull 10 names out of a hat and those people will get some super fun merch from us, like bookmarks or stickers and very exciting. Give us five stars, please. Say nice things. Yes, please do. It really helps other people to find the podcast and helps to support us in a way that is not monetary. And it makes us smile. We, it does. We enjoy it. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. You can email us at herd.materialspod at gmail.com, and you can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rage. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not crying about Lee and Mrs. Coulter, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Bailey, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about Paddington and how great it is, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and on my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. A huge thanks to Johnny Knott, as always, for his musical stylings. And we'll see you soon. And don't forget, keep telling stories. 
and all will be well. Shop update, buy some things from me for Christmas. <laughs> Get buy some pigs. pigs. <laughs>